0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Hey gang, spring is here. Vaccines are entering arms. I had my first dose recently. Nonetheless, for many of us, hope can feel slippery and fleeting. Even with the pandemic seeming to abate, there's still a lot of uncertainty and a lot of suffering, which is why starting today, we are launching a special two-week series on hope, what it is, what it isn't, and how and why to cultivate it. The word hope might feel vague or gauzy or even given the current state of the universe, misguided. And if you're using the commonly understood definition of hope, that actually might be true. Many of us think about hope as wishing for some specific outcome or result, a raise, a promotion, a romantic entanglement, or a return to an exact replica of pre-pandemic living, whatever. We can get attached to these outcomes and then get disappointed when they inevitably don't work out exactly as we had hoped. There is, however, a way to hope wisely. And over the next two weeks, both here on the podcast and in the 10% Happier app, we're going to teach you how to do that. For this endeavor, we've enlisted an all-star slate of Buddhist teachers, mindfulness experts, and scientists who will make the case, convincingly, in my opinion, that hope is a skill, one you can get better at. If you're a subscriber to the 10% Happier app, you're going to want to check out all of our new exclusive Hope is a Skill content. We've got fresh meditations and fresh talks on the subject. Just go to the Singles or the Talks tab in the app to check that stuff out. If you're not a subscriber, maybe now's the time. In addition to the aforementioned Hope is a Skill content, there's just a ton of stuff on there, a ton of resources for starting, rebooting, or deepening your meditation practice. Just download the 10% Happier app today for free wherever you get your apps. Back to today and this episode of the podcast, we've got the perfect guest to kick this all off, George Mumford. He's a personal friend and a much loved contributor to the 10% Happier app. Years ago, he overcame a heroin habit to become one of the country's leading meditation teachers. He's worked with some of the world's top athletes, including Michael Jordan and the late Kobe Bryant, who was a personal friend of his. Today, he's gonna to talk about his own tumultuous path to hope, how it relates to the Buddhist idea of right action, and also a list that George calls the four A's. A quick heads up in our conversation. George talks pretty frankly about his substance abuse, which might be sensitive for some listeners. So I just want to give you a heads up on that. Okay, here we go now with George Mumford. My friend, George Mumford, great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Great to see you too, Dan. It's always great to see you. As you know, we're going to talk today about hope. Right now it seems like a precarious moment for hope because we do see green shoots around us. It seems like the pandemic maybe kind of we can see some light at the end of the tunnel. The vaccines are here, summer's coming. But, you know, then there's always the fact that people continue to get sick and die. People are worried about these new uh, you know, mutations that could come and do an end run around the vaccine. So, How do you
1: think about hope in a precarious moment like this? How do I think about hope? Things are happening because the conditions are right for them to happen. And even though we have stories around people dying all the time and all of these ways that one could die, that's always the case. It's always been that way. It's just that now we have, instead of it being unknown, it's known. So it's really focusing on What can I do to make things better? So it's an inside job. How can I make it peaceful? How can I make things better? And so hope is tied to faith or trust, seeing the future that we can live into. So we have to cultivate hope. I talk about this idea of embracing whatever comes up. Like say this uncertainty, that's a big one. Uncertainty, death and dying illness, aging, all of those things are happening all the time. So when I can embrace it, say yes to it, and then generate the hope from it, okay, given that this is happening, how might I relate to the situation in a way where I bring more peace, more ease, more understanding to the situation? And so it's easier for me to have hope because I've been through hell with my substance abuse and all the other trials and tribulations that one encounters and my perspective is similar to the one that Viktor Frankl talks about, what well, he talked about, he's no longer living. But he said, when we find meaning in suffering, it ceases to be suffering. So it's something to be understood. It's something to be related to in a way where we can generate more hope, we can find peace in it, say, okay, yes, this is happening. And here's the compassionate action that's required. And so to the degree that I could see how the universe works, how things, there's a lawfulness in the universe. If I align myself with that, then not only will I have confidence, but I will have conviction that no matter what happens, I get to choose my response. And then my, in that space between stimulus and response is where I can exercise the freedom and the power to choose and to choose rightly. But having said that, there's an even simpler aspect of that. It's if I have my mind in love or an openness or willingness to see clearly and to act compassionately, then it's a lot easier. Then my perspective is going to be more consistent with feeling hopeful. But optimism has to be there. So hope without action, or they say faith without works is dead. So there's hoping, but there has to be an activity. There has to be a willingness to make the right effort, a willingness to use right speech. It's a willingness to really understand I and the other are one, to get beyond the illusion of separateness. So it's really more about seeing a path forward that's in line with how things work.
0: You said a lot there. Let me just see if I can repeat some of it back to you to make sure that I at least have some sort of intellectual grasp of what you're saying there. You generate hope, if I'm hearing you correctly, from knowing that you can exercise at least two muscles. One is the kind of mindfulness that would allow you to be able to respond wisely in the face of unpredictable circumstances going forward instead of reacting blindly. And the other is to act out of warmth, friendliness, compassion, kindness, instead of greed, aversion, etc., etc. So you combine those skills, you have a sense that I am fortified and resourced to handle whatever comes up. Yes, I have
1: a masterpiece. I've been wired for success and how I direct my attention and how I cultivate certain mind states or wholesome mind states is going to help me be able to relate to the situation in a skillful, wise way. So cutting to the chase, it's like there's two basic emotions, fear and love. So when we're in fear mode, we're in the fight, flight, freeze. That's the reptilian brain. When we're in love mode, rest, digest, our openness, open heart, open mind. There's a thing called the broaden and build theory, which says that when we are at positive, it's what Deshaun and calls positive genius, that we could generate hope and optimism. Then our cognitive functioning is enhanced. So we actually think clearer see, and feel in a way where we can actually Instead of being tunnel vision, where we have the expanded view, where if you use the analogy of a TV set, if you stay on channel five, you're gonna get whatever the programs on channel five. But if you can have the broaden and build and you expand so that you have you realize you have thousands of channels, then it's just a matter of understanding which channel you need to tune into that's gonna give you the resources, the outcome that you want.
0: I will not have you running down Channel 5 because in your hometown of Boston, where I also grew up, Channel 5 is ABC. So I take that personally. Um, But (laughs) having said that, (laughs) having said that, uh, (laughs) having said that, I, again, I'm testing this out on you just to make sure I understand it. Hope for you is knowing that if you put yourself in the right mindset, you can deal with it. It's not hope and optimism for you isn't picturing a definitive outcome and come hell or high water, I'm gonna get X, Y, or Z. Is that right?
1: Yes, so let me put it to you this way. I call it the four A's. There's awareness, so that's mirror mind. Whatever's there, I have to embrace and see what's there. So clear seeing. So when we talk about mindfulness, you're being mindful, you're cultivating this ability to both see And no, So you have mindfulness, but you have wisdom or insight there. There's a clearly knowing. There's a seeing clearly. And when we see clearly, then the second step is acceptance. And that's the challenge. So when we can accept things, when we can embrace it and say, yes, this is what's happening, and this is how I can relate to it in a skillful way. So there's awareness. The challenge is the acceptance, embracing it, because it's unpleasant and the nervous system is wired. When something is unpleasant, there's aversion. So we have to train ourselves to not to withdraw, but to be in the center, the eye of the hurricane, and to observe it in spite of how uncomfortable it is. So the ability to accept what's going on, because once we accept, yes, it's raining out, then I can get an umbrella. So then the compassionate action is to get out of the rain, or maybe you need rain because it's been a drought. So whatever it means, so it's the acceptance of it, then the compassionate action. And what I am suggesting is when we can be still and know, when we can be mindful and have the wisdom, the understanding, the basic fundamentals of what is an essential thing here, what's the most important thing right now, then there's a knowing that comes out of that seeing clearly. There's an inner wisdom, there's a knowing what we need to do. So the compassionate action is, I call compassionate action because it's action that's leading to more compassion, more connection, to really being able to embrace it. And at the same time, by embracing it, once we accept it, then we can make the wise choices about how to relate to it. And part of that is a process. We're going to choose wrongly, unwisely sometimes. But the idea is, what did you learn? What do you need to change? And then in changing that, then we start to get more confidence that even when we make a mistake, we can replay it or we can redo it because the mistake is just feedback telling us, okay, you need to adjust to this or you need to understand this, you need to learn this, you need to practice this, then you get to there. So it's a process. So hope is not static. It's not just an emotion. Be hopeful means that you are understanding, you're seeing clearly, and you're through trial and error because this is how we learn, We're understanding what works, what doesn't work. And so when we can understand how it works, how the universe works, how things work, then we align with that, then we're going to have success, we're going to have ease, we're going to have peace. Because once we accept that, okay, so for me, I go back to my substance abuse. Once I accepted that I had a problem with substances, I can deal with it. Once I accept, yes, my life is unmanageable by me. And my best thinking can't help me. So once I accept that, then the compassionate action is is to try something else, make wiser choices. There's programs, there's people that can guide me and say, okay, guess what? If you don't take a drink, you won't get drunk. Wow. How about that? And then that compassionate action, and then I can assess it. The fourth A is, did it work? Then if it worked, why did it work, and how do you sustain and perfect how to make it work when you get in that situation. And if it didn't work, then you go back to awareness, acceptance, and then compassionate action. So it's a it's a feedback loop. And so that's ongoing. And so to the degree that I can do that with life challenges, with difficulties, like this time is an opportunity for us to grow more in confidence, more in trust, more in peace, because how we relate to it It's going to show something. There's a lesson here. There's something to get here. And once we get the meaning of it, we understand it, then it ceases to be suffering. It's just feedback. This is what happened. So why am I acting like it shouldn't happen? So it's really simple of this awareness, acceptance, and then the compassionate action, and then the assessment. So what we want to do is we want to be able to focus on, because our society in general is more focused on pathology, what doesn't work? We need to focus on what works and then focus on how to sustain what works. So when we start sustaining what works and we keep doing what works and we're learning and growing, the hope is going to be optimism. It's going to grow to optimism and the hope is going to be something that we have because we know from direct experience that if we relate to our experience in a way that's skillful, then it's going to lead to peace, happiness, compassion, joy. But for now, and I know when it comes to dealing with a crisis, if I understand that there's both danger and opportunity, then I can be aware of the danger. Yeah, I can embrace the danger, but I can also embrace the opportunity. There's there's an opportunity for me to really get clarity, to really learn something here, to really allow my latent abilities to express themselves, to learn how these principles we talk about Like mindfulness and right effort and concentration and wisdom and faith, which could be interpreted as hope and trust, however you want to look at it, that those qualities of mine are helpful for me to, to be in the moment and to choose wisely. And to create space between stimulus and response, and so when I do that, I can be hopeful. Okay, there's danger here, but there's an opportunity here. So if I can look at it from that perspective and understand that I'm I've been wired for success, it's just a matter of how I direct my attention, how I program my mindset or my mind, so that I have right view. So I have one. I have one. I wear glasses. I have one of fear glasses. I'm in survival mode. So it's fight, flight, freeze. I'm on my heels. If I'm in love mode, then I'm open. I'm in rest, digest. Or uh, You know, what is this? How do I relate to it? So I bring this quality of interest, curiosity, and understand. So, okay, so Dan says if I do this, then I'm going to be happy. So I have to take Dan's teaching and then see if it's true, see if I can have a direct experience of it. So once I have a direct experience of it, the confidence goes to conviction. And so if I got through this, then the next thing I can get through anything if I can be still and know if I can really understand, see clearly, then accept it. And then the action, the compassionate action is going to be trial and error. Or it could be I know what the essentials are and I know how to make the wise choice. And you do that. But you're always assessing whether it worked or didn't work. You want to assess and understand, Okay, if it worked, then I need to sustain that maintain that and perfect it. And what didn't work is it's telling me I need to learn and practice to get to the point where I achieve my aim. It seems like
0: one serious obstacle to the kind of hope that you're describing would be an attachment to results. So I could look at the current pandemic and say, well, I've got hope because it looks like this thing could be winding down. But then all of my hopes would be dashed if, you know, some sneaky mutation hits the news or whatever, any number of things happen. Then all of a sudden I've lost the hope. But I I think you're describing a hope that is not attached to specific results. It's being equipped to deal with whatever comes.
1: Yes. So what I'm saying is I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic how it's going to turn out. But I don't know how many obstacles I have to overcome but I'm committed to the process and it's going to take as long as it takes. So that's with right effort, the persistence, this not quitting, but getting the feedback and staying on target. Because who'd to say that the process doesn't involve these variations? So we don't know. So you're absolutely right. We can have a target for the end result. We just want to get to being healthy. So that the goal is to be healthy or to be you know, not in dis-ease, right? And so the process that it takes, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. That's why you got to live in the moment. But if I know if I take care of this moment, the next moment is going to be fine. This time, the time we have now, it's the only time there is. And this time doesn't go back to the past. It goes forward. So what I do today is going to echo in tomorrow. So if I understand that all I can do is manage the moment and just manage each moment and have an intention of you know getting to a certain point. But the actual process requires trust and a stick to of staying on task, no matter what the environment, no matter what the road signs are telling me, I have to stay committed to the process. So yeah, so you're absolutely right. If we're focused, because if you're focused on how you're doing, you're not focused on what you're doing. So you always have to be in the moment. So even though you intend to be disease-free or to not you know, be infected, you can only manage right now. And things change, so you have to be able to be in the moment and then see clearly and then keep making choices. And when you choose unwisely, you learn from that. So that's the process. It's not a straight line. It's more like a zigzag. So you get off, you come back. You get off, you come back. And that's the process. It's actually enthusiasm, you might say. And the only way you can have that energy is to be hopeful and to see a future that you're excited about because the nervous system likes to move towards what is pleasant. We live in the future we see. So if we see a bright future, then the energy is going to be there. And then we're going to just keep going because we know we're going to get there. So this is the analogy I like to use is when you're a kid and you believe in Santa Claus, Christmas Eve, you can't even go to sleep because you're so excited about Christmas, because you know it's going to happen. So what is it, what kind of future are we creating? And that's where hope comes in. We're hopeful that we can get to this place, but it's not just a hope alone where we hope but we don't take responsibility and don't do the work. You have to do the work. You have to be on task and you have to continue to learn from setbacks and start to see things not as roadblocks, but as stepping stones. So it's this optimism. We know that the cognitive functioning, our ability to think. And why is thinking so important? Because it's our thoughts that create these scenarios in our mind about how things are going to turn out. So if we have self-talk that's in alignment with achieving the goal, this is going to be great. It's going to be a great journey. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be great. Then that creates a certain enthusiasm. It creates a certain joy, a certain just continuing to be in the moment, to live each step, to have joy in each moment. That's a different energy
0: you talk about being in the moment it's you know a, a, a venerable contemplative concept that many people um, have trouble actually doing myself included but it's so useful to be reminded of it because many of us when we have hope or optimism and we're working toward a goal, whether it's you know normalcy after this horrifying pandemic or any other personal or professional goal. I'll just speak for myself here. I've found that it's, in some ways, it's easy to defer the happiness, defer the enjoyment of your actual life as you're living it right now until you get this thing, until you get to whatever goal you've set for yourself, forgetting that all you've ever got is right now. And so you might
1: as well maximize your current life. Yes, the research says you're happy first, then you're successful not the other way around. See, because when you're happy, you have a positive mind state, the certain endorphins that are being experienced. And so because you're happy and your heart is open and you're fully present, fully engaged, you're going to get better results. So we keep thinking, I'll be happy when I get there, but you may never get there. Joseph Campbell says, follow your bliss. It's kind of the same thing. So if you follow your bliss and you don't get to the moon, you have bliss. So and then we realize it's the journey itself, not the destination. So that's what I mean. So we had this idea. That's what I, how I was trained. But now I say joy now and never is about this moment. Because if you think about it, let's just contemplate something right here, right now in this moment. There's nothing wrong. Right. Well, I'm trying to I'm trying to refute that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> let me know when you do because you can't refute it. The only way it could be wrong is you have to think about the past or the future. You can't be here now.
0: What about if I'm standing in front of a speeding train? There would be something wrong in that
1: moment. Well, it'd be something wrong if you don't move. But if you accept that there's a speeding train coming in this moment, your awareness, acceptance, then the compassionate action is to move out of the way. And that's why we can't get rid of the ego or the reptilian brain, because the reptilian brain is in fight, flight, or freeze. It has the instinctive quality where it will move you out of the way. Versus going to the cerebral cortex and reflecting on, should I move or not? What if my
0: spouse is in the hospital on a ventilator with COVID? Something is wrong in this moment.
1: Well, think about it. So right now in this moment, they're on a ventilator, but they're still alive. Where it gets to be a problem is when you're saying they're on a ventilator and they're going to die. Or they're going to do this, or I won't see them. Or whatever. But in this moment, we can just be present and then pray for them, be loving, do things where we can use this moment to help us have awareness, acceptance, and compassionate action. Because, yeah, they're probably going to die. If they don't die in the building, they're going to die at some point. They're going to die. So, how does that inform us of how we live now? So, we're in discomfort because we're sad and all of that, but we can hold that, we can embrace that and not project it into the future of the past and just feel what's there and just fully be engaged in it and fully feel it. And if we can do it without identifying with it, just say, okay, there's a sadness, there's a heaviness here and I'm sad about it and just embrace that and say, there's a relationship become a loved one is unavailable and that's real. I'm not saying you're going to have peace in the sense where you're not going to feel the discomfort, you're not going to feel the sadness, you feel that angst, uh, whatever it is, that pain. Let's call it pain. It's going to be there. But if you can hold the pain in a particular way where you have peace within that pain. What I mean by peace, I mean you're not making it worse. You're not identifying with it. Because we don't just have the pain. We start playing out scenarios of how it's going to turn out badly. And then we get in the thought thing. Oh, then this associative thing, yeah. I remember when this happened with my grandmother. I went through this again. I don't want to go through that again. Then you're not present, you're not here, you're off somewhere else, and then you're stirring up and you're creating more and more anger or turmoil. That thinking is taking you there instead of just saying, Yes, yeah, something happens, and then we get the opportunity to in- interpret it in a way that connects us with a dynamic, energetic way of relating to it. We can relate it to it in a way where you know something? If and they get out of this, I'm going to share every moment I have with them. And guess what? There's still, I have kids or I have other people, loved ones. I have to learn from this so that I'm fully present with them and fully understanding that we're not guaranteed the next moment. So, how do I want to live now?
0: So, joy now or never means that joy is available even if you're in the throes of a heroin addiction, even if. Your husband's just called and said he wants a divorce. Even if your child's in crisis, at any given moment, there is nothing wrong. Joy is available.
1: Yes, because if you're in the moment and you're just living in the moment, that's it. But it's easier said than done. But in the moment, that's when we experience our greatest joy. When we get in the flow or when we are really happy, we are fully present. We're fully engaged in the moment. And so that's what I mean, joy now and never. So it's like saying, so enjoying the fact that I'm breathing and breathing out. Thich Han has this saying about the non-toothache. You don't appreciate the non-toothache until you get a toothache. So if you appreciate the non-toothache, you can do that now. You can appreciate as John Cabazin says, as long as you're breathing, there's more right with you than wrong with you. Enjoy this in-breath. Enjoy this out-breath. Enjoy being in the Engage with you, just being fully present, enjoying being with you as you are, and just being fully engaged, giving you my undivided attention. That's another word for love or openness. It's being vulnerable, just being open and being able to just see you as you are. Not as I want you to be or anything else, but I see the masterpiece. I see the divine spark. That's what I'm relating to. Your Buddha nature, your Christ consciousness, whatever. So I can see you that way, and when I see you that way, I'm also seeing myself that way. So if I focus on what's right, I'm going to have more positivity. So that's a skill. What uh, Charlotte called positive genius to stimulate hope and optimism or positive genius, a positive mindset or what we would call right view. To have a wholesome mindset and love is just a kind of a one way of saying it. If you're seeing it from love, open heart, open mind, seeing the person and embracing the person or the situation as it is without trying to change it, just seeing the beauty, the essence of it. For some of us, it might be you look at a half-grown rose and we see it as a perfectly imperfect rose. That's a choice.
0: So love, I think you use the word love a lot. And I believe that you use it in the way that I use it, which is way larger than the love you might see on a rom-com or the love the way it's traditionally used in pop music, for example.
1: There's a book called The Art of Loving by Eric Frome, and he talks about love as a verb and it's productive. So when you love something, you make it grow. So you label what you love, you love what you labor for. And he talks about self-love. So he talks about care, Self-care, attending to my, you know, basic needs, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. He talks about responding to those needs or being responsible. I am responsible for those needs. But he also talks about having the knowledge of knowing myself to the degree that I know how to care for myself. I know how to respond to myself and I know how to respect myself and allow my essence or my inner spark to express itself as it is, to respect it as it is, not to try to be somebody else, but to be yourself. So when we love something, we care for it, we respond to it, and we respect it being as it is, not trying to change it, but being with it as it is and relating to it and helping it grow. So self-love is self-care, self-responsibility or responding to our own needs And that means also getting outside help others and then self-respecting who we are. And how do we know that? Be still and know. Our heart would tell us, just listen to what resonates with us. When do I feel fully alive? So that's what I'm about. Know thyself. You got a masterpiece, but you have to know what your individual uniqueness is. And if I can help you define yourself, so if you know yourself, so you can be yourself, so you can express yourself, so you can share yourself, now we're rolling. Now everything is cool. So the hope will come from just seeing somebody say, oh, they're fully embodied. So there's hope for me. So my job is share what I've gotten and saying, listen, there's the possibility of both embracing whatever comes up, I don't care what it is, and still generating the hope based on that. what happens. And the question is, okay, so how do you relate to it in a way that empowers you? As, far as you, helps you to grow, and to use it as a stepping stone, not as a roadblock. That's what it comes down to. Much more of my conversation with
0: George Mumford coming up right after this. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I got to tell you, I feel so much better when I talk about my anxiety instead of keeping it bottled up. There's an expression that I first heard from the great researcher Designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/happier today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp hel slash happier You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected. After investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. You use terms like knowing yourself or, oh, he's fully embodied. What do you mean by that? I mean, what came to mind is and I can't believe I'm about to do this because I always make fun of people who quote Rumi. But here we go. Uh, Rumi, the poet, the Sufi poet, talks about a true human being. Uh, knows the alchemy of greeting whatever comes up in your mind with friendliness, hospitality, treating, you know, any petty meanness or uh, jealousy uh, with uh, honor. Is that what you're referring to?
1: Yes. Awareness, then acceptance. This is what it is, but I have to really not only see it, but understand it, know it, both to see and to know. And so it's like, so there's a part of me... When I got clean, I realized I just need to be intellectually stimulated. Now I see it as pursuing excellence and wisdom, grace and ease. But I had to honor that. So I read a book a week for the last 36 plus years, as well as other things. And so I teach a lot because if you want to learn something, you teach it. So I had to honor that. That's me. There's a part of me that's saying, dude, man, I have curiosity. I need to understand. I'm a seeker. I got to own that. I got to honor that. It's just an expression. That's what I mean. But we have to be still and know and, and then listen to our heart, listen to what we're excited about, stuff like that. So, But it's an internal job. That's why it's challenging because the world will tell you who they think you are, who they want you to be. And we don't really have our school set up where we're saying to people, instead of learning subjects, we want you to learn about yourself. You have a mind, body, heart, and soul. And you have to understand how you need to align those four aspects of being so that you're fully engaged and you really feel fully integrated, right? So when I say fully embodied, that means that you're in your body and you're just doing what you're doing because... Of the thing itself, not because of some gaining idea, or not because of fear. So you're not coming from fear or desire. You're just being there because that's what's important. What you're doing now, and how you're being now, and it's just doing it in and of itself. Or what Chick Setmeyi would call an autotelic personality. It's the activity itself, not the end result, or what it brings you, or what it might take away from you. It's just be fully engaged in what you're doing. And you have moments like that when you're fully there. And I suspect when you're dealing with the little guy and you're fully there with him, is an amazing experience. When you're just there and just let him be who he is and you're just there and the kids teach us that because that's who they are before we get to them. Does that make sense?
0: It does, but you said before, helpfully, I thought, easier said than done, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because I I can't tell you how many times I've been with my son and it's been incredibly joyous. And I can't tell you how many times I've also been with my son and found myself checking my phone and then telling myself I'm a monster because I just did that.
1: Yeah, so once again, something happened and how you interpret that is it's on you. You can interpret it as you getting on your phone because there's an urge there or you need more space, but you don't have to make yourself wrong. So this is how we have to be able to have an uncritical observation of our or a mindful observation. You did that, but don't make it wrong or right. Just notice it, as it, does it work or does it not work? How do you feel when you do that? How were you able to not do that before? You need to understand that. Because if you understand that, then you can replicate it. How good are you at staying in every moment? That's interesting. It depends on the day, depends on how much energy, depends on what the activity is. But here's what I'm noticing that it doesn't matter if I'm in the moment or not. What matters is if I'm aware of it and if I don't make myself wrong for it. That's the most important thing. So when you
0: wake up from whatever distraction you've been caught up in, how are you to yourself right there?
1: Yeah, I just say, oh, that's interesting. How did that happen? Okay, and the other thing is, it's just the way it is. Our lifestyle, I'm up in Maine. I have to get away. You know, I've been coming kind up of here for years and I didn't realize why. I would come up during basketball season when I work with college basketball teams, they go home for Christmas, I come up here for two days, just to be on the beach, walk along the beach, meditate, relax for no reason, just to settle in. And I was doing it because that's how I got back to my center, back to myself, because the busyness of everything is really challenging, right? So I find these pockets of stillness, now I do it in my daily life, then I started learning Wherever I am, I could take a moment, and just sit and breathe, I'd just be fully present. And then just noticing that I'm not present. That's the whole thing, it's a mirror of mind. If you're mindful of being unmindful, you're being mindful. Say that again? If you're mindful of being unmindful, you're being mindful. <laughs> <laughs> right, of course, you can, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this yes. is what we have, we have this conundrum where we can observe ourselves in a way, and the idea is just to notice it without judging which is really challenging. But if we can have an uncritical observation of ourselves, or mindfully just noticing like mirror my, oh, when this happens, that happens. Well, how do you feel about that? Do you feel more collected or less? Do you feel uh, more yourself or less yourself? And then you ask those questions and you start to say, well, how, how? why am I seeing things that way? And if I see them a different way, then it changes everything. And so what do I want and who do I need to be to get what I want. And so it's about being, it's about understanding how you can be fully engaged in your son because he's teaching you how to be fully engaged with everybody else, especially yourself. Let me go back to love and
0: fear, which is, you know, there are these two modes you talked about. We can be in love or we can be in fear. It's not dissimilar to the modes of being awake or asleep or mindful or unmindful. I'll stop beating around the bush and put this in a personal sense. I'm definitely prone to fear. And today I got a phone call that I can't talk about, but it scared the hell out of me. And even in this conversation, I do find myself drifting away to that phone call and all the things that I'm now going to have to deal with as a consequence. And so how do you deal with things like that? Because I'm sure there are things that scare you if there's something going on with you know somebody you love.
1: Yeah, so, so there's an acronym. What is the acronym for fear? False evidence appearing real. <laughs> okay so you can see it any way you want so but the fear is also helpful because if you're afraid of the hot stove or, or something so there's there's rational fear and then there's irrational fear but here's the thing when you care about something and if you feel it's threatened there's there's hard to be present when you're in fear you can't be hopeful or you might hope but you're you don't believe it so when you're in that mindset, when you're in the fear, when you're in survival mode, that's a reptilian brain. It only knows fight, flee, and freeze, forge for food, and reproduce. That's all it knows. So instead of making it wrong, we just notice fear is there, and what are you afraid of? What is it? So now you investigate. How does it feel in your body? Okay, you have this tightness. You have this you know, pit in your stomach, whatever it is. If you can relate to it on that level of bare sensation, just be with the tightness without the story around it. Because you're not just thinking about what you're afraid of. You're playing out scenarios in your head how it's going to go wrong. Correct. And you have images about that. Yes. So that's what you're creating. Correct. So when you get to a place of peace and ease and understanding, now those scenarios, this is my experience, are going to be how it's going to work. Or, okay, just don't close another one opens. Don't worry about it. It's going to be all right. But it's telling us something. But... You give it all the power it has. You give it all the meaning it has. I want to just
0: jump in on that. It's going to be all right. That is not some Pollyanna, you know, pathological sense of like everything's going to be fine no matter what. The world is great. I've got, you know, rainbows coming out of my nose. What you mean by that is
1: you have what it takes to deal with whatever arises. We call it strong self-efficacy belief that no matter what happens, we know we're going to make a choice that's going to that we can choose our response. And so this is what's really important, how we develop strong self-efficacy is through mastery of experiences. So these difficulties, we know something's going to happen. We don't even know what's going to happen. but well, We know we can choose our response. This is what Viktor Frankl says when he talks about finding meaning. He says one way of finding meaning is creating an art of doing a deed, experiencing something or encountering someone. And the third thing he says is the attitude we have in unavoidable suffering. In fear, we can choose to be in love, be in joy, or be in peace. That's a choice. And so that's what I'm talking about. It's like we get to choose. And I've been through hell. I continue to go through hell. You know, I help see all sorts of things. But I know this, that as long as I can choose my response to it, and even if I die, I can choose how I want to die. So I'll give you an experience. So my uncle William, when he was dying... He decided to go without taking medication because he wanted to meet his maker with clear consciousness. So when people understand that they get to choose how they die, that's a freedom. And so we can say yes to death. We can say yes to life. Most of the time we say no to life. But it's really just realizing that, yeah, that's hard or it's challenging. When I say the word hard, I change it to challenging. Because that's what the elites do. Elite performers don't see curses. They see challenges, opportunities. Okay, there's something for me to get here. And so maybe by me dying this way, maybe there's something about how I want to die. I get to choose my attitude and what happens to me that's unavoidable out of my control. And when we have a little modicum of control, like choosing our response versus reacting to something... That little modicum can grow. So we have more, we might have a little space between stimulus and response, but that will grow when we start to realize that no matter what happens to us, we have a masterpiece. We can choose wisely and maybe we can choose our attitude on how we want to relate to that situation. No one can take that away from us unless we give it to them. This is a near
0: total non sequitur, but you referenced an uncle. And I I seem to remember you told me in a personal conversation a while ago that you have another uncle who's over 100 years old. Is he still around? Yeah,
1: he passed away last year. I think he was, uh, there's a family feud about whether he's 109, 107, but he died in 2020. But I don't have that many uncles left. But, you know, yeah, my uncle, Joe, you're talking about, he was a character up to the end. It's a good run, one hundred and seven, one hundred nine.
0: Either one, and I'm sorry though that he passed because I remember you talking about him fondly.
1: Yeah, the, my uncles were good teachers. I mean, they they grew up in the south, so they they had devastating experiences, but they always seem to be able to have some joy, or at least share joy with me. So yeah, it's you know you see people. I have a friend who passed away with COVID. His name is Maurice. He was a Holocaust survivor. Same thing with him. He went. He grew up in hell, but. He was a gentle man and a kind soul after going through the Holocaust. Back to this notion of hope
0: as a skill, not that we ever really left it, but to go back to it in a more direct way. Can we spin through the four A's again, just so people can walk away with a sense of how to do this?
1: Yes. So awareness It leads to acceptance when we can see clearly and we can know, but then we see it, but then immediately we push it away or we pull it towards us. And I'm saying not to do either, but to be in, just let it speak for itself in its own language, right? Whatever the awareness is. Then the acceptance piece is the most challenging piece because it's unpleasant and the nervous system is wired to have aversion. So we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. We got to be vulnerable and say, yeah, this is what's happening. I don't like it. And I, I, on some level, I don't accept it, but I had to accept it because this is what's happening. And if I accept what's happening, then the action that I take in response or reaction to it, it's going to be more precise. And I'll be able to, because I have to own it. I have to say, yes, this is happening. And like my addiction. So it's awareness of it or mirror mind, just reflecting what's there, then accepting it as it is, things are happening because the conditions are right for it to happen. And this is just nature. This is the nature of it to be what it is. And then once I embrace it, then the question is, how do I relate to it in an energetic way or in a compassionate way? How do I relate to this situation? So you talked about you know feeling, I don't know, not so good when you're answering your phone when you're with your son. So the compassionate action is to forgive yourself and learn from it, and then the assessment will work. So you see yourself beating yourself up, the assessment is, well, how's that working for you? It's not, okay, so now you get to learn and practice so that the next time you get in that situation, you have awareness, you have acceptance, then your action will be more compassionate where you say, okay, that's not what I wanna do and that's what happened, so be compassionate and look at it like, what can I learn here? What's the lesson? So if I'm hearing you correctly,
0: It seems like you're really talking about a kind of self-awareness, a mindfulness that will allow you to see when you're on point and when you're not, when you're awake and when you're asleep. So then a straight up mindfulness practice where we sit, watch our breath, and then every time we get distracted, we start again. That seems perhaps to be the one that goes most directly at,
1: at the A's. Yeah, so let's talk about that. I'm glad you brought that up. Because what happens is when you start meditating and you have the thing that you have an exclusive object, like the breath, let's just say the breath. So you're with your breath. And when your mind wanders off or gets distracted in thoughts, sounds, or images, you come back to the breath. Well, there's sometimes when the distraction is so strong, that the proper thing to do is to have awareness of it, accept it, then make that your object of meditation, and then just be with that. And so you're accepting, yeah, I'm distracted because that that your mind keep going. It, it's telling you something. You got to pay attention to it. You got to look at what is this? And then once you look at it and you accept it, then it's not going to be this push-pull. It's going to be just like any other object. It's going to rise and fade away. But your relationship to it changes. So that's when your practice has to start to expand and not just be here. So that's the same with sitting or with a situation. Like you're going, like to me, it's like, okay, so maybe I want to work on something, but I forgot the nails. You know, it's going to work on something. I got the hammer, but no nails. Okay, so I can be upset, or then I can say, okay, so that's not going to work today, so what else can I work on? So you make the shift. And that's like being like water. That's like, that's how you get in the flow when you, it's like improv. Whatever happens, you say yes to it, and then, you know, the current takes you down, and then you decide how you want to ease out of it. And so if you want to practice love and kindness, that's always helpful. But to me, it's really more about what your life is telling you it needs, and then you getting a clear understanding, you have an awareness of what that is, then the acceptance of it, and then what's the compassionate action? What practice is consistent with me working with this particular issue? Yeah, I really, I
0: resonate with that quite strongly, that I, what type of practice I'm going to do on any given day, it really kind of depends on how I'm feeling on any given day, but I find that mindfulness practice, focusing on the breath, or doing a noting practice uh, that helps me just sort of be more awake to whatever cacophony is playing out in my head, is really useful, and I find that in particular, as an anxious person, who is prone to put on the fear goggles instead of the love goggles, that doing loving kindness practice or a compassion practice can help kind of warm the system up and make me more likely to put the love goggles on than the fear ones. Um, Is there a question I should have asked
1: that I didn't ask? No, you didn't miss anything. But I think it's important for us to remember that we have a masterpiece within and we get to decide who we are being and it's an inside job. I was at a point where I thought I was going to always be a substance abuser. And so one day, April 1st, 1984, my friend Danny came over to my house. And he said, hey, man, I'm looking at him and said, dude, man, what's going on? He's clean. He's sober. And he took me to a meeting. I had hope when I saw him. And I went to the meeting. I said, if he can do it, I can do it. And what, what did he do? And I became curious, and I looked at it. And that's why that's the same with us. We can show the way. As my job is to, to be the message, to, you know, to be the door in which people walk through. and just say, hey, this is my experience. This is what I know it could be helpful. So my job is to talk about it and to share it in a way where people say, you can have hope. Hope is there for the choosing, but it's not static. It's something that we have to generate. It's a skill. And the skill is just sometimes just remembering, okay, well, Dan did it. I could do it. George did it, or so-and-so did it, or uh, the Dalai Lama does it, or Mother Teresa did it. Whatever, whoever the person, you know, you, we have to have somebody and some image or some role model that says this, is. and it's not like being like them, it's their qualities, really. It's, it's how they're, how they're being, you know, and the qualities like love and curiosity and compassion and courage, those qualities or virtues are going to be helpful. But here is, what's the relationship with hope, with faith, vulnerability, and taking an action? Before
0: we go, I um, I'm want to push you to, uh, a lot of people aren't so comfortable with this, I want to push you to do it anyway. Can you just plug everything you got going on right
1: now? I know you've got something on YouTube. Anything yes. else people should know about? Yes. So uh, georgemuffet.com is my website. So we have the Mindful Athlete, a online course that people can sign up and join anytime. The YouTube channel, uh, you know, I do the Being at Home with George. And the website, there's always something going on. They can get free PDF of, I think, a chapter of my book. We might have changed it to some other gift. Yeah, and, you know, my book, The Mindful Athlete, Secrets of Pure Performance. And, of course, I have a course on 10% Happier. I think maybe one or two, a couple of podcasts. So yeah, so that's how a lot of people find me is through Ten Percent Happier, and I'm excited about being in partnership with my friend Dan and Ten Percent <laughs> Happier. I got a lot of friends there, and <laughs> uh, and doing this work, and I, and I appreciate this opportunity to speak to you all, and to talk about hope because this is what I would call a championship conversation. <laughs>
0: I appreciate you making the time to do it. It's always great to see you, thank you.
1: Yeah, okay, thanks Dan.
0: Thanks again to George, always great to talk to him. If you enjoyed that conversation with George and you wanna learn uh, how to practice what we talked about today, make sure to check out the brand new meditations that just dropped under the hope is a skill topic inside the 10% Happier app. We'll include a link to the meditations in the show notes. You can download the 10% Happier app today for free wherever you get your apps. This show is made by Samuel Johns, DJ Kashmir, Kim Baikama, Maria Wortel, and Jen Point with audio engineering by Ultraviolet Audio. And as always, a big shout out to Ryan Kessler and Josh Cohan from ABC News. We'll see you back here on Wednesday for episode two of our Hope series. It's a brand new episode with Seven a. Selassie. Actually, this episode went in a direction that I did not foresee. We, we sort of make public a very private and challenging conversation we recently had the two of us. And I think both of us walked away feeling some hope. So we're going to talk about that. We'll see you then. If you like 10% happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.